Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, New Testament, a letter to the church at Colossae, local body of believers meeting in and around Colossae, and it, um, one of Paul's many missionary endeavors as he's planted a church there and is nurturing and supporting that local church. We've been thinking together this month of September about who we are as a church and what is really valuable and important to us. Not just so we'll know that and have that information, but that we'll have a good starting place as we think together about how do we move forward in the culture in which we live. See, I believe we're living in a different culture today than we lived in yesterday or last year or five years ago or ten years ago. Our culture is rapidly changing right in front of our eyes. And now we are the different ones as Christians. We are the ones that stand out. We are the ones that seem to have a difficult time fitting in. And the Bible calls us aliens and strangers. And we're beginning to experience that now here in our culture. And so the question is, as that remnant of God here in the United States of America... How are we to go from this place and be salt and light in the world in which we live? But before we can do that, we determine that we need a starting place. We need to understand and agree together as to what we truly value here as a covenant of baptized believers gathering together in this place we call the Old Fort Baptist Church in Somerville, South Carolina. What is it that holds us here together and what are our values here as we begin and a few weeks ago we talked about biblical truth and then last week it was missional living and today we're going to talk about vital connections so just so we can say we did it let's say all three of those together please I want to hear you say it number one biblical biblical truth number two missional living and number three vital connection I want to start by saying we value each other. That's a value to the local church, and it's a value to Old Fort Baptist Church. I value you. We are important to one another. I think the idea of bringing the children of God together in this thing known as the local church is not only godly, not only God-like, but it is biblical. Oftentimes we talk about the church as uh, just a group or some nebulous group of baptized believers, kind of the church universal, all Christians make up the church. And I agree with that, and we find evidence of that in Scripture. But we also find the local church in Scripture. We find God doing something in a setting similar to this. Now, I realize that after 2,000 plus years, the church has changed a good bit from the first century. And I'm not suggesting that all those changes are good. But I am saying that gathering together as believers in a local area where we come together under, a, under the flag of Jesus Christ, under His authority, and we join together as one to be on mission with God, to follow the truth of His Word, we support and encourage each other as the local body of believers. I find that to be very, very biblical. God has anointed this. He has given us himself and he has given us his word and he has given us one another as we strive to grow together as the church now obviously the church 
as we know it, the local church as we know it, is constantly under attack. I'm convinced that Satan certainly knows that the local church is important to God because ever since the first church was established way back in the first century, it's been under attack. And it will continue to be under attack until Jesus calls us all home. However, we do need to remember that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sovereign. He is in control. His kingdom is doing just fine, and His church will survive, not because of anything we're able to do, but because of what He is able to do. This is His plan. We are called the bride of Christ. We are called the family of God. He has blessed us. He has encouraged us. He has called us out to be just this way. And now we're going to look at some instructions that He gives us in His Word of how to be vitally connected one with another. So in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to take a few verses and just look at them one at a time and see what each of these verses has to say concerning the local church. Now keep in mind that this book was written as a letter to the local body of believers that were meeting there in a town known as Colossae. I want you to look at verse 12, and you'll see right away he is addressing his thoughts to the believers. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved. So obviously there he's not talking to the reprobates. He's not talking to those outsiders. He's talking specifically to the church, the believers that are gathered together, much like we're gathered together here. And he says this to them. First of all, put on... Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Would you leave the verse on the screen and, and draw your attention to that for just a second? Let me, let me kind of direct our thinking with this question. Can we make an assumption from this verse about something that is present in that local church? Can we make an assumption? I'm not big on assumptions, but if we look at this, you might say, well, what was happening there? Okay. Is it safe to assume brokenness? What's the first thing he tells them to be? Compassionate. The people who have everything going their way, need compassion? Not usually. Usually compassion is reserved for those who are hurting, for those who are broken, for those who are struggling with the life that they find themselves in. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, those things seem to assume some level of brokenness within the local church. You see, I think Satan won a huge battle in his deceptions when he deceived believers into believing that the Christian life is a bed of roses. And that it's supposed to be easy and gentle. It's like this great cruise ship where you get on and, and now you have your every need met and you're, you're taken good care of and you just have a great time in life and you can sit back and kind of relax because after all, Jesus Christ is your Savior and He's going to fight all your battles for you. He's going to take care of all your needs and you just have to hang on and enjoy life until you get to heaven. And many people believe that. And you might say, Pastor, I don't think anybody's ever said that. You don't say it in just those words. But the words I hear is, Pastor, I'm struggling. Something must be wrong. 
Pastor, I'm hurting. Something must be wrong. I must have done something wrong. Or maybe God has just missed me. Where is God in this? Because we have the assumption that as Christians, everything's supposed to be easy. And as you read the New Testament, the New Testament is full of the reality of suffering. And so he says, what connects us together is an understanding that all of us have struggles. And we should begin with heartfelt compassion and care for each other. See, we find health through this kind of compassionate care in the church. A couple weeks ago, we started our Sunday evening series, and Patty and I are teaching a class entitled Reaching Your Prodigal. And we packed the class out. I already have several who have said they're signing up for the class that they want to have in the spring. And as we sat there on the very first night a couple weeks ago, I said, look, I, I want you to know something. I want you to know that there's an assumption being made about you right now because you're sitting in this room. And that assumption is you're hurting. And we have that in common. And I said, here's what I want you to do. First night, I said, just, let's just go around the room and just give, just give a brief description of your story. And the first, first couple started. And then the next. And then the next. And all of a sudden, we began to see commonality in the room. And people began to realize, well, I'm not alone in this. They do understand yeah, I feel that exact same way. Yeah, that's happened to me too. I get it. And it was as though we all became acquainted somehow, very quickly, because we were open to talk about our brokenness. And I, I often think this, I'd love to have a service one Sunday, and we certainly couldn't do it in an hour, but I think it'd be worth staying all day if we got rid of all the pews one Sunday and just set chairs up in a big old circle in here. And we all just sat around in a circle and we started and said, just introduce yourself and tell your story. And then the next, and then the next, and then the next. And before long, I'm convinced that one of the things that we would learn from each other's stories is that what we have in common in this room is brokenness. Sickness, disease, pain and sorrow and suffering. It's a part of every life. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We live in a broken world. A world that has been broken because of sin and we are victims oftentimes even though we may or may not have caused the hurt or the pain we still have to deal with it. And God does not call us to come together with some kind of self-righteous piety that says hey I'm above all of that. His first word to us as we seek at that connection with one another is to have heartfelt compassion. They care deeply for one another. 
It's so easy to be critical and judgmental. It's so easy to get caught up in our own circumstances that we fail to see the pain and the hurt of those around us. It's so easy to get busy doing life and, yes, busy doing church so that we miss the people in front of us who are hurting, who are broken. The only way to find health in the local church is to find it through heartfelt compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience with one another. I think this verse assumes brokenness in the local church. And I just want you to know this morning that no matter what you're dealing with or what you're going through, you are not alone. You're not. And I want to challenge you to, to let down your guard and those barriers of embarrassment or those barriers of shame and be willing to open up and share your heart with those that are around you. And I promise you, I promise you that you will find those that can not only understand your pain, but can resonate with it because they share a similar pain as you. That's what we learned in our class a couple weeks ago. It's not as uncommon as you might think to be hurting. Compassion. Let's look at verse number 13. Accepting one another... And forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now, if verse number 12 assumes brokenness, what does verse 13 assume about that little church in Colossae? Sinfulness. the enemies out there in the world those that are hostile toward the church like to say we're all just a bunch of sinners in here and they're right they're right yeah guilty for all sin and fall short of the glory of God Oh, I thank God for his forgiveness, don't you? Oh, I thank God for his grace. Oh, hallelujah for a grace that is greater than all of my sin. Thank God for the cross of Calvary. For the blood of Jesus that died for me and for you. He says here, Forgive one another. And he doesn't just say it without context. He, he frames his, his plea to forgive in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. Just as Christ forgave you. Hmm. Let me give you an answer to a trivia question. You ever played... Bible trivia 
you might run across this question. According to Scripture, what's the only thing that God forgets? Huh. We don't like to think of God as being perfect in forgetting anything. You know, it's like, well, not according to Scripture. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture. First, we're going to go back to the book of Psalm chapter 103 and verse 12. Here it says, as far as the east is from the west. That's a long way, isn't it? That's an infinite distance. You go east that way and you go west that way until you can't go any further. That's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Okay, let's move over to the New Testament. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews 8, 12 says, For I will be merciful to their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. Now, I don't want to get into this whole theological discussion about the omniscience of God, and if he knows all things, how can he not know and not remember our sins and all those kind of things? I just know what he told us. He said, I'll remember them no more. And that, to me, in my finite mind, means he's going to forget about it. And in Scripture it says, we are to forgive others as God forgave us. As a matter of fact, if you want to see what Jesus had to say, we can look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. And this is where this whole issue of forgiveness gets very serious. I mean, now, now this is like taking all the air out of the room right here. This is, this is sit up and pay attention stuff. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says, For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. That's easy enough, but let's look at this next one. But if you don't forgive, what does he say? Your father will not forgive you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is serious stuff. I don't know that in our finiteness and in our limited ability, we are able to be godlike in this and actually forget when people sin against us. I think we could debate that. You know, your mind is one of those things. Psychiatrists and researchers tell us that you never really forget anything. It just kind of stores in there. But I will say this. We can do a whole lot better job of letting it go. Somebody needs to say amen to that. We can do a whole lot better job of letting it go. We like to hold on. This passage assumes brokenness and it assumes sinfulness and he says if you're going to come together in this thing of connection and be connected with one another and value one another you must be compassionately compassionate and care for each other in their brokenness you must be willing to forgive and to reconcile because we find if security in that forgiveness and and reconciliation we find home here when we know that even though we fall there will be those ready to forgive and receive us in look at verse 14 I like what he says here. Above all. <laughs> I like that. That doesn't mean the other two things so far haven't been significant. They are. But he says, above all, 
put on love, he defines it like this, put on love the perfect bond of unity. So according to this passage, what is it that binds us together as one? Love. All right, let's talk about that for a second. The bond of unity, the bond of love. They say that sports is a religion in this country. I've heard that. I tend to agree. I was busy yesterday. I had spoke yesterday morning, had a funeral yesterday afternoon, so I was pretty busy most of the day, but I did get to squeeze in a little bit of college football. I started yesterday morning when I got up, got upstairs, and after the men's breakfast, I turned on ESPN, and it was college game day. Let me tell you what was happening at college game day. It was early in the morning. I think they were in Nebraska. Is that right? Thank you. They, I knew somebody watched that too. <laughs> Ohio State was scheduled to pray Nebraska Cornhuskers at 7.30 last night. Well, already, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning, there were thousands and thousands of screaming fans. They showed up for church early. See, church didn't start till 7.30 in this world of sport religion. But they showed up early. They were going to have some fellowship and some fun, and they were going to enjoy each other's company and cook some stuff and eat it, you know. And then at 7.30, they all go into the sanctuary. Come on now. You know where I'm going with this. And they're all unified. My goodness, they're all dressed the same. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This is what I learned yesterday. By the way, if in fact that is a religion, I got to tell you, there's a little bitty part of me that wouldn't mind being a pastor in one of those churches. <laughs> is that fair? It's like, wow, these people are serious. Let me, let me tell you something about them. All right. They're not unified. Follow me. They're not unified because they love the person beside them. They probably don't even know that person. If they did, they probably wouldn't like them. Let's be honest. A person's probably got different political views. They probably got different philosophies about life. They probably like different things than they do. They probably have nothing in common outside of that place. You know what binds them together? It's not the love of each other so much as the love of the team. They love the team. And as long as you're wearing that color, I'm with you. And you're with me. And I really don't care how you feel about everything else the rest of the week because today we are one to cheer on our team. All right, hold that thought for just a second. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, which did he say first? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he said, and then... Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, here's my point. Church, the problem with unity in the local church is not because we don't love each other enough. 
It's because we don't love Jesus enough. That's the problem. You see, because when we show up on game day and we're all wearing the colors of Jesus, we're going to get along. And we're going to be able to say to each other, I agree with you that Jesus is Lord, that he's King of kings and Lord of lords, and that he's the team. This is where I want to be. This is where I belong. Because I love Jesus and you love Jesus, we'll find unity there. Oh, if we could all just learn to put on the colors of Jesus. Day after day after day, we would find unity within the local church. It is love, the love of Jesus that bonds us together. And it's easy for us to find commonality and unity together when we all can agree as to the, the one true love that we have. What did Jesus say to the church in Revelation about their problem, their shortfall? He says, you've left your first love. What did he say on the Sermon on the Mount? As he was introducing himself and introducing his ministry, he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. See, we're never going to figure out what it means to love one another as the children of God unless and until we learn what it means to fall in love with Jesus. And when we all have him as our number one priority, we'll find that unity through the bond of love. Verse 15. And let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts. Be thankful. Two things are mentioned there. Peace and thanksgiving. It reminds me of a passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4. Which also is one of Paul's churches that he was writing to the church at philippi in philippians chapter 4 verse 6 he says don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving let your requests be made known before god and then he says this and then the peace of god which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus See, if we're going to be connected vitally with one another we only find peace through prayerful support Like he says, and be thankful. He's talking about the church. Do you thank God for your church? Do you thank God for the people that he's placed in your life to walk through this journey with you? Do you find peace in an understanding that you're not here alone, that God has put you here intentionally to be a part of what he is doing in and through this place and these ministries? Have you found that peace that passes understanding by saying, God, this is, this is my life. I give it to you. I'm trusting you with it. These are my circumstances. These are my issues. You see, we teach that as, as a way to find individual peace. Just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Give it to him. But the churches find peace that way too. When we as a body of believers can come together in prayer and say, God, we just want to be found as faithful to you. And we want to be an instrument in your hands. God said, so we're just going to trust you with it. We'll go, we'll follow wherever you lead. We will go as your church. We'll find a lot of peace in that. We don't have to worry about what's happening in our culture. We don't have to worry about what's, what's going on around the world. We can know that we are aliens and strangers here according to Scripture. We're just passing through. Our home is in heaven and it is secure and we're just instruments to be used of God while we're here. And He has given us one another so we do not have to walk through this world alone.
And then look at verse 16. So we're going to close this out. And let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts unto God. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. He's talking there about strength that comes through one another, strength through accountability, teaching and admonishing each other, building each other up, worshiping together, rejoicing together, weeping together, doing those things together as one. And we find strength in that kind of togetherness. Building each other up, not tearing each other down. Helping each other to grow and to learn. To be willing to be accountable to one another as we walk together through the difficulties of this life. I'm glad that God has established the local church. I value you. And I thank God for allowing me and my family to be a part of what he's doing in this community and Putting us with you and you with us. The Bible says the thief comes. Jesus said, John 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. He wants to take away the unity, the oneness, the fellowship of the local church. But Jesus said, I have come that you will have life and have it with abundance. That's what he wants for this body as we serve together.